Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something, people. I uh, I was battling this. Uh, it wasn't a cold. It was just a, I had this awful cough. And it was, it was so bad that, like, I, I didn't go to the doctor. It started last Tuesday. And like an idiot, there's an urgent care right down the street from the studio. My copay is $3. So it wouldn't take me much to just go to the doctor. But I say, no, I'll get better. I'll get better. I finally went on Saturday. And the reason I went is the lovely Joanne was downstairs watching TV. And she came up and closed the bedroom door and said, like, you have to go to the doctor. You're coughing too loud. So I go. And they give me uh, some nasal spray which is $3 of my prescription. And then I have to buy over-the-counter cough syrup. Well, the over-the-counter cough syrup is 10 bucks, $10 for over-the-counter. So then finally I go back yesterday because my cough's not going. They give me this uh, hydrocodone or whatever. It's a level two narcotic, okay? And I'm sitting there and it's a pain because they can't call it over the phone. I have to go to five different uh, stores because they don't have it. And what's amazing is this heavy, heavy narcotic. It's a level two narcotic with my insurance is only $3. So you're telling me that it's cheaper to get really good drugs than to get over the counter. It's crazy. Anyway, enough about that. We have a, we have a great guest. He's back for the third time. And uh, he was here when I was really sick. He was here a year later after I had gotten better. And now he's here like a year and a half later. So Mark, how you doing, Mark? Mark Valley. How are you doing, Mark Valley? Good, Coop. How you doing? You're, you're videoing yourself. Look at that. And you. Now, do you now, do you have a good health? You, you, you have that uh, Screen Actors Guild health insurance, don't you? Yes, I do. Sorry, I was just filming myself. Now, now you can film um, yourself more. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I do. I have the Screen Actors Guild health insurance. Now, is it, is it good stuff? Do you, I mean, is it you can go? Do you have to go to the, just to the place and like it's in Toluca Lake or something like that, or can you go? You anywhere? know what I think is funny. Whenever you go to a doctor, you you, you tell them your insurance, and uh, I always just say they say what kind of insurance do you have, and I just say SAG. <laughs> and their eyes kind of widen. I, I always think that's enough, SAG. That's well, that's good because everyone knows in this town. Able to say I'm SAG, fix me. Exactly, because you know I'm pretty. I'm on TV. <laughs> it's a company. It's a company town. You know. Now, last time you were on, in the very beginning of the show, you ranted about something. I think it was YouTube or something. Was is anything bothering you right now? Because you're you're such a pleasant guy, and you just went on some. I think a rant about all the crap on YouTube or some of these films. Is is anything bothering you in Hollywood right now? Um. Yeah, I read something where people were. I read something. Yeah, there's something bothering me today. I, I tell you, I read an article. Somebody posted something about an article someone had written in Salon about some director who'd worked with actors for 30 years, and I had no idea who the hell he was. And he went through saying what he thinks a good actor is, and um, and I got angry about it for a lot of irrational reasons. Why? You want to hear more? You yeah, I want to hear. I want to know because I like this because well, you have good saying, stories. But he was saying he was saying how an actor like uh, he didn't like an actor. Um, you know, like Tom Cruise, who has done some good work, but not some good work because he's not always that surprising and he's not that vulnerable. But, um, um, you know, how some other actors like Anthony Hopkins played a really, you know, was very vulnerable, even though he's playing a very subtle character. He's saying that actors have to surprise you. Actors have to be vulnerable. Actors have to um, be larger than life. But I was thinking, how, how, do you, how do you surprise somebody when you're 60? 70, 75 years old. It's the only profession where really a teenager is perfect. Teenagers well, surprise you. They're doing things all the time. Well, that's also because you do. Now I'm going to keep continuing this rant. So I just did a film where um, I played a father and I had these kids, these like, amazingly talented kids. And I'm just watching these kids thinking, what other profession could you walk up to and do? And suddenly a four-year-old walks up and just nails it. Right. Like a lawyer. You know, like a four-year-old lawyer is going to walk in and just and just kind of run everything. So acting really forces you to, to develop the kind of humility, and I'm struggling with that right now. Well, what is it like you now, because you're, you're, you're playing the father, because a lot of your TV shows, like with Keen Eddie and all those, you, you were never considered, you were never a father on those shows. You were like the, the good-looking guy, and you know, just the cool, like Keen Eddie, you were the cool, hip guy, like the, sure, the wisest. Yeah. So as, as we all get older, and, and are you a father in real life? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so how do you bring your fatherly skills to when you play a father? Because it seems like, a, are you getting cast more now as a fatherly figure? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, I did it one. I thought, you know, I should try to play a father. It always seems like such a strange thing to me. And my daughter, uh, it was, you know, I didn't really, I didn't have any custody of my daughter, so it was a different relationship. But um, playing a father is, uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little strange. Because you're, you're, not only are you, pretending you know someone better than you do but you but you've known them since they were tiny little little infants so it's a little more of a challenge 
Now, what do you think now with all the, the, the Sony hacking? And now you've been on a lot of TV shows, so you, you have a name. I mean, it's not like I'm talking to some guy who's been in excellent shows. You've been in a bunch of TV shows. I mean, whether it be uh, uh, the one with uh, Kathy Bates, um, Murphy's Law, or Boston Cop, all the, all, the, all, the, all the shows you've been in. Now, do you ever worry about any emails? Have you sent? Because as you're also a comic, and people don't understand that, as comics, we have a, a sick sense of humor. I mean, we send some stuff. I mean, I mean some. I have one of my friends, Jeff Martyr, who's an amazing comic. If he got out of business, but if if people read our texts, they would sit there and be like, "You just filthy, disgusting people." And the funny thing is, we're kind people. I mean, so for you, does does it ever bother you because you are a celebrity that someone may find some of these? I mean, because you're a comic, I'm sure you've sent some Randy emails and stuff like that. Does it ever bother you that that will come out? Uh, yeah, I went through. I started going through. I mean, I, like. I just started going through my email account thinking, man, I got to just clean this up. <laughs> but I don't know. I've always been pretty fortunate. I've never really pissed off North Korea right. or anybody. Or, you know, So nobody really is going to be digging through. Well, I think it's funny because I saw Aaron Sorkin on the Today Show today. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he doesn't think the, uh, the media should have let it out. Because the basic thing is they weren't causing harm, these emails. They weren't sitting there and you know trying to stop you know terrorists they weren't doing anything like that and they were gotten illegally so i mean what's your thought about that what do you think of something like that does that you think it's wrong that they, the media puts this stuff out there um I, i've been kind of wrestling with that opinion on one hand i think well um you know do we complain because because edward snowden releases all this information and everybody can't wait to find out what the government is doing and you know do we do we need to know everything that's going on in Sony? And and, and kind of brings up this difference is why why should we need to know everything that our government is doing, and and not know everything that's going on um, inside a huge corporation like like Sony? I mean, let's face it, a lot of the world is sort of is kind of run by these huge corporations, and just because they're private companies, while well, they're publicly traded companies, whatever, just because they're private companies doesn't mean that um, you know people can't can't kind of find out what's what's going on i don't i don't really to be honest with you i don't really i don't i'm not really i'm angry that the people came out with those emails. see for me i don't even really care i don't care if, if someone calls angelina jolie a baby i don't care i mean it's like it's like you find that stuff on late night talk, talk people shows. love it because they've done that themselves you do it to your neighbors you do it to your family you know you got you've had that everybody's seen that picture where angelina jolie is looking at at amy pascal with her eyes right i mean that's every thanksgiving you've got a face somebody that you've been talking trash about at least in my family <laughs> well yeah I, that's what my dad used to always say my my aunt ruth was uh oh your aunt ruth she's a bullshitter she's a, i mean it's a, whatever whatever she says cut that in half cut that in half and then believe that and it's just families have that that rivalry yeah yeah so what's up with the comedy you doing comedy again or no what? i haven't done it in a while but it's been about six months i did an mc job i was terrible a couple nights ago where'd you do it at? um it was a veterans veterans and film and television event and um, yeah, it was one of those ones. You you, you show up, and uh, there was a huge dance floor, and <laughs> way beyond the dark light. This is the comic complaining about the venue, but way way beyond the dark light is a crowd, and and most of it is a bar. So it's just this kind of dim roar off in the off in the distance, and uh, like a you feel like a boxer or right. something, and there's just nobody out there, and. Um, yeah, that was that was the venue, but it was great. They had some really good comics. Justin um, Justin Wood, I think you've had Justin Wood on, on here. No, Sean yeah. Sean Halpin. I got no Sean. He's the you big beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very funny guys. They came on and they came on and performed. But um, no, I didn't. I haven't performed in like six months or so. Do you miss it? Because I, I know you you were going in you know stages where you were doing it a lot. Yeah. Do, do you miss it getting up? You know, I honestly, I don't. I don't. I mean, I still write it. I still write comedy and kind of try to write bits and write jokes and things that happen to me. It's sort of become part of who I am and how I deal with the world is I'll write some jokes about it. But um, no, I was getting to the point where it was feeling a little, um, uh, maybe the humiliation was a little more than, there was a kind of a weird feeling of of uh, self-consciousness has, was sort of, I was feeling more self-conscious than I was actually kind of enjoying um, entertaining a group. So I thought, you know what, I think I'll focus. I had some other writing projects I was working on, so I'll just kind of focus on that. What are you writing? What, 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 what's something, I mean, what does what a Mark Valley write? You know, I mean, you, you, you act. We all know you're a successful actor. You do comedy. What, have you written all your life? Have you always been a writer? Or is this just something recently you've come up in the last few years? Um, I've always been, I've always, I've not always been a writer. I've probably been just writing in journals since I was in my 20s and, you know, this kind of long laments about myself. 
but um in terms of what I've actually written that's been published or produced, I did I wrote a one man show about ten years ago. And now, then, what was that? What was that about? Uh, it was sort of a, why I went into the military. What what was like a little bit about my growing up and um, and sort of a military family and why I went into the military and what happened why I left. Kind of a coming of age story, and um, kind of takes place in Berlin and then in Saudi Arabia and then. Um, you know, then ultimately back in New York. Where your hat, your hat you got from Berlin. Mark's a very big hat wearer. He got, now, now that's from Berlin. Now, where are some other, well, I want to get back to your writing, but I'm, I'm tangenting on the Are hat. you trying to cheer me up, dude? I'm just like, man, I'm kind of miserable. Are you, why are you miserable? <laughs> Do you have to have a reason to be miserable? Well, I mean, I, I really... think it's the holidays. Are you a big, you grew up back east, big holidays. I mean, you seem like a holiday type guy. This is turning into an argument now. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's just the way I talk. It's just the way you talk. No, it's not. Why are you, no, it's why, not, you no. why are you miserable? It's Christmas. No, yeah. Why are you? Are you why, Cheer up. Are you miserable right You're now? Dressed like, he's dressed like Santa Claus right I now. I have the beard and I have the Everybody should, everybody should know. <laughs> Santa Claus is like, what's your problem? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. No, so so the hat you got in Berlin. The hat I got in Berlin, yeah. Oh, that's a television pilot that I'm writing now. But we'll see what happens. So you're writing, you, you, write, about it. you wrote your show, but you can't tell me about the pilot? Well, no, I don't want to just want to like blurt it all over the over the okay. over the air. I want there to be some surprise. What made you decide to start writing your own pilot? Um, I was writing some memoir stuff. I was writing like you know stories from my life and where I was, and I was stationed there for about five years in the army. It was kind of an important time. And while I was I was there visiting, and um, it was about it was about twenty five years ago when the wall came down, and for me, memories were were coming up quickly, and it felt like those two time periods were going on at the same time in one place. Like there were, I mean, I know people like have lived in Los Angeles for a while. You know, you drive by a certain street and you say, oh, I remember that 20 years ago. But this was a lot more vivid because it wasn't like a consistent amount of time that I'd, that I'd been there. So I felt like there were two time periods going on at the same time, 25 years ago and today. And so you started writing this and so... Yeah, and I wrote something about, yeah, and I, I wrote it, tried to write it a little more, a little more interesting with a conspiracy involving the... Um, the East German secret police and the Stasi and an American intelligence officer. I was an engineer when I was stationed there. I just used to blow things up and build them. <laughs> that was about it. But see, now, cause when you, you said like the, the police, and all, are you a fan of that kind of, of war knowledge and stuff like that and army knowledge? Is that something that you enjoy? So did you enjoy, did you have to research this and do you enjoy something like doing like that? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed re- do, doing the research for it. I talked to quite a few intelligence Operatives who, who worked over there, mostly military intelligence guys, and some of the East Germans as well. Um, what I was, what I'm always fascinated with is is the the sort of dual reality that these guys wor- live with and they work with. Um, there's there's what's going on right here, but there's also like an ulterior motive in how living with that with that kind of with that kind of authenticity ha- has its has its costs later on. I've just been fascinated with that. I mean, the spy genre, it's always, you know, there's usually young guys that are kind of working and lying with each other. But I'm always more interested in how the cumulative effect of, cumulative effect of that and how it, how it works on somebody's psyche. Now, in this pilot, will you... It doesn't there, address that at all. It's just an action show. No, exactly. <laughs> is, is there a part for you? You know, I, I started to write, I wrote, did write a part for me, but then... Um, I decided to right now I'm doing a rewrite with a with uh kind of changing the main character a little bit. Um my, it's not necessarily for me either. I sort of felt like after I went through and wrote it um I felt didn't feel like I had to to re-experience it like that much as an actor. I mean nobody really it's nothing until somebody buys it and they pay for it and right. get produced. But um initially I was writing it for myself but it's my, I, I find it's much more compelling if I write it for a completely different character. Now, would you be fine? I mean, if you know, of course they're, they might. They're probably going to say, "Well, Mark, we want you in it." But if if you weren't, would you be fine being behind the show, being the creator, and being? I mean, that's a completely different hat for you now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've always been in front of the camera, yeah. And it's it's a lot. I mean, I've, I know people who've created shows. I mean, it's a ton of work. I mean, you know, we're the actor. You guys do the you, know, you do your shot and then you leave. For the creator. They're always writing. They're always everything. And like, you know, I've had people who've been on the Seinfeld show that said like, whole oh, Larry David and those guys and Seinfeld were in the office all the time. Was that something that you could get used to or something you'd want to do? Like having to be constantly hands-on for, from coming from a point where you've been the actor, so it's not, your days are shorter and you don't have all that responsibility. And the bottom line is, if the show isn't good, they're not going to, they'll say, oh, well, the acting's okay, but but the show isn't good. They they hit everything with the writing, everything. Is that something you're comfortable in doing? Yeah, yeah. I I I'd, I'd love to try that. I'd love to work in that area. But um, if any if anything, it's it's given me an appreciation for you know the script that actually makes it 
to the writer's computer, the actor's computer. When I read it, when I read the script now, I have um, a lot more tolerance for. It. I realize how many different people you have to you have to please, and and how you know a writer's <coughs> trying to stay true to the character, but there's so many other elements that are involved in writing something. So. Um, you know, as an actor, I'm always complaining about exposition and things like that and how to make it more natural. But sometimes you just, um, you know, sometimes you just have to write stuff down. And, um, yeah, it's given me a better appreciation as an actor for what the writers go through. Now, would you ever start writing a comedy? Is that anything? I mean, because you do stand up and you're always, you're always in dramas pretty much. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. think about it. I mean, I've seen you in dramas and you've been, you know, in the movies. I mean, you're in Zero Dark Thirty. I know we talked about that last time, but that's a drama. Is the one where you're playing a father, is, is that a drama? That's a drama too. Okay, so yeah. I mean, for you, because you have, you do, it's just, you do comedy, but you always get cast in dramas. Would you ever write a comedic, let's say a sitcom? Is that something that would possibly be on the plate of Mark Valley? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been tossing around some different ideas with some other comics and some friends, and trying to trying to come up with a you know like a kind of a cool a cool funny show like that. That would be something you know I'd love to do. Um, you know, I, I, I like I enjoy doing dramas though. I enjoy being able to you know have that day job, and then to be go be able to go somewhere else and kind of joke around and and um, and have fun with it. Now you were on Crisis. Uh-huh. And now that was is that is that renewed or is that what's up with that? It's done. Now what's that that was a I mean you were, it was just a drama. What what kind of role did you play in that? I played the CIA the director of the CIA. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was interesting. I I I mis- initially thought, "Oh, a CIA agent." And they said, "No, you're playing the director of the CIA." <laughs> so I thought, "Wow, I've gotten a promotion here." Um yeah, I'm, I was the director of the CIA. Now, do you like playing? I mean, you've always. I mean, do you like you play these these roles? You're very authority, but not like. Have you ever played a cop? Oh yeah. What you yeah. play? What you play a cop in? Well, Keen Eddie was a. He's a oh, yeah, but he's a detective though. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, have you ever played like a, a cop? Cop like a, a, a. Yeah, I think one movie I had a scene where I just was driving along in the beat, you know, driving along in a car and pulled up to a girl. And... What have your? I mean, your roles have developed. I mean, you've been acting for a long time. You've been on a lot of shows. Your first, your first role was in the soap. Well, your big role was in the soap. Jack Devereaux. Okay, yes. so you, you, were, you went from a soap guy, and I know we had talked about people recognize you all over the world, and then you, you started playing more authority figures. Mm-hmm. Now, what's that like? I mean, do, do, do people sit there and do they, when they see you, do they act different? Because you know how people believe. Like, if you go out, I mean, I'm sure if you went out somewhere and someone hasn't seen you on TV, and you said, hey, 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 stop that to some kids, they would probably listen because you have that authority. If I said it, they'd be like, you know, shut up, you old bitch, get out of here. But for you, I mean, do you, do, what's that like being an authority, I mean, authority, always playing that. Does it come across? Do people feel that way towards your real life? Uh, people don't really know where, they, they know that they've seen me before in real life. They can't quite name it. They can't like, quite nail it down, which makes me want to make these cards up that just say a list of things that I've been on. You should. You know, a little card, just a list of my credits, you know, and then, and then my name. And then... So I could probably probably any interaction with somebody I could save about like two to three minutes. Could you man? You probably go. I've, I've just going. Oh, I just hand them a card and then I just keep walking. I've always heard that. I've always heard for actors. You've been in a lot of stuff. They always come up and they go, "We we know you from some. Well, wait, you're the." And now I say, "You're that guy." And I've always heard like first time they're, they're and they've never seen wrong. what you name though I mean right. if you if you do say something <laughs> and chances are they're probably confusing you with somebody else because they see you as somebody but then they think of another story it's a strange thing in people's brains with television they pastiche everything's this weird bulletin board of of faces and characters and television shows and sometimes they overlap and they confuse us now have you ever been confused for anybody it's frustrating like has everyone come <laughs> up and said are you that aren't you I mean has everyone said you're I've seen you on wait I know you it's like the old Woody Allen movie hey I know you know he would would, uh, Annie Hall, yeah. where the guy's like, "Yeah, I seen you. Uh, I seen you. Uh, no, no, no. You, you haven't. You haven't. I, I saw you on TV. You, you, you're, 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 you're someone now. No, I'm Alvy Singer." And he goes, uh, "Hey, people, it's Alvy Singer. Hey, it's Alvy." Yeah. Has, has any stuff happened to you? Like, if people like embarrassed you, been like, "Oh my God, it's Mark Valley." I mean, has, has that ever happened? Um, embarrassed me. Oh, not about just like said to brought you attention where you're sitting there going, "Okay, you know what? I'm just, I'm hanging out, having a latte." I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just want to hang out. And the people ever just sat there and been like, hey, hey, I know you. And just oh, been overbearing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a specific time when that happened. Um, yeah, but now they sort of leave me. Now, now people kind of leave, leave you alone. They leave, they kind of let things go. I mean, people would come up to you. If somebody knows you from a specific show, they'll come up to you and say, hey, I know you from this. But I, I really love the situation I'm in now where... People can't quite nail it down, so they just keep their distance and look at you like 
like you got something sticking out of your head. They don't know whether to ask you about it or just to sort of right. let it go. It's not hurting him. He's not hurting anybody. We'll just we'll just leave him alone. Do you so. ever get free stuff? Like I've heard guy, I've had guys on the show said, oh, you know, one guy was on Cougar Town and he goes, yeah, I was at Bob Clendon and he's a big goofy guy. He goes, I was going to get at an airport and they're like, oh, we love Cougar Town and they upgrade me to first class. Have you ever gotten like, have you ever gotten the hookup? Have you ever gotten good hookups like a, a perk? You know, I used to get when I was on a soap opera because I think I think the flight attendants often they have schedules where they're flying at night and stuff, so they have time during the day. So a lot of them were soap opera fans. And I used to get a little bottle of wine. That was pretty much standard. They'd give you a little bottle of wine from the back, and I have a little TWA coffee cup that I still have. I mean, they're, they've gone out of business now, but I used to say <laughs> I'd say stuff. Or what I really like, what I would like to do is just I'm on a flight and it's boring. You just go to the back of the bulkhead and just you know chat with the flight attendants. Well, because you know, and, and they—that's always kind of fun. And they probably love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, but they sit back there and they got bath. It's bathroom. They sit in between bathrooms, right? And there's like coffee brewing, and the th- they got these little windows where you can't see anything. And then there's just a stream of people coming and opening and shutting those and little it, bathroom doors. They're always nice. I mean, it's funny. I I, I flew Virgin a lot because when I was dating Joanne before she moved out here, I was going back once a month. And Virgin was just—they were nice, like. They're, and they were young, and the planes were new. I mean, I flew first class. I got an upgrade at for like. How were you? How? What were you doing? What? You can afford first class. Who was flying? No, I, I got I got upgraded because I I, I had I had fly, I flew. I was she was moving out here, so I stopped flying. This is after Virgin, so I had flown so much yeah. that I I had some United points, so I got upgraded. And I, so I took American. I used to flew Virgin, but in the beginning I would fly first you know, class Virgin. That was like a that was like the no, genie's bottle. I, I couldn't get in there. Crazy. No, I was I was in there. I mean, you fly Virgin. I was in there going. I've flown twenty times in twelve months, and I have like I had like eight thousand. I wasn't even close to first class, but for for United Air, I did it. And uh, I no, I flew in U.S. Air, and first class was awful. And because I was sitting there, it's like there's no like there's no movies. The the flight attendant's like seventy years old. She's letting the people walk, and I'm not, I'm not I'm not sitting there going I'm an elitist. But if I finally get to sit first class, I want that damn bathroom just for me. She's letting people walk up from the back, and I'm thinking, wait a second, that's my bathroom. Look at that, you're letting that guy in. So I didn't like it. I, I was I was bummed. I don't like first class. They just keep annoying you, and they they, they keep walking up to you and asking <coughs> you if you'd like this, if you'd like this. And then there's a moment in the plane where you're sitting there, and all the poor people walk by, right? And you've got to kind of look down or something, and uh, and they just keep coming. Up up with snacks and then they all the food it's just it's disgusting really but and i think the screen editors guild they, they say you have to fly somebody first class if you're flying them to a job or something oh really yeah and, and I, I don't think they should have um i don't think they should have pushed for that that was years ago i think they should have they should have gone for residuals they should have gone for more money on residuals but they they sold out and they said we want our actors to fly first <coughs> class everywhere so now make no, you feel and give you a false sense of importance oh yeah but that's but yeah you're right it's like residuals are much more important than first class I think so yeah I mean of course so now do you, are you traveling a lot I know before you, you, you do some really give, give us some of the excursions you've taken I know you've gotten some cool hiking trips and different stuff I mean you're, you're, you're sort of an adventurer guy what did I do I climbed Mount McKinley a couple years ago it was an expedition now what was it did, I mean, yeah. have you always been interested in climbing mountains um since the day I was born, yeah. When you're, why do people have people ask those questions? Have you always been? So, no, it was just two weeks ago. No, but some people. No, I'm just saying. Though, some people sit there. But is there though? Is that what's the difference if somebody you know decided to try it two years ago, or they always have been? Well, it's it's. I like, don't mean to be combative with you. No, but, but it's wondering. well, it's like your friend Bill Dwyer. Bill right. Dwyer, my friend John Mata. Is, it's like some people. Your, I think a lot of people are afraid to try new things because they haven't always been. Well, afraid, but I mean, sometimes liked like, it. Like Dwyer ran the LA Marathon. But he got ready for it in two weeks. And he said he could have always been a drag queen. It's like, no, I just wanted to try it. Okay, exactly. <laughs> but no, I said like some things like that. I mean, it's not like, hey, have you always wanted to... If, oh, so you're basically just making conversation as well. No, if I, if I cook a souffle, <laughs> I'm not, someone's not going to say, hey, have you always wanted to cook a souffle? No, I just read a recipe. But climbing a mountain, I would never want to climb a mountain because I'm afraid yeah. I'd fall off. But for you, is it something when you, you were know, a kid? It was, what, what sparked my imagination when I was a kid, I was at a friend's house. And I lived in an area where there was really no mountains. I mean, the Adirondacks were maybe half hour, 45 minutes away. And this friend of mine, we're in his basement. We're playing around. He's, like, going through all this old junk. And he opens up. He comes up on this footlocker, and he says, this was my grandfather's. And I'm like, well, what's in it? And he's like, well, it's, I don't know. Let's, let's open it up. So we open it up. And in there are, um, there's, like, this old rusty climbing gear. 
And I just thought, what in the heck? As a kid of being about seven or eight years old, you don't know what this is. And there's old ropes in there, and there's a pickaxe, and it's rusted, and there's crampons, those kind of spiky things you put on your shoes. And there's an old leather shoe in there, which just looks um, like it's just kind of rotted. <coughs> I just wonder, why. what is this? You know, when you look at, like, equipment, and you think, what, 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 is, what did he have this for? Why would he have it around here? And what was it? What was he doing? And um, that started to kind of get my imagination kind of oh he must have been climbing mountains and somebody from my town was actually a mountain climber and i didn't really get into it until a friend of mine said hey let's give it a try we climb mount rainier and i ended up doing that a few times in mount whitney and kilimanjaro and another mountain down in Ex ecuador and um yeah then mount mckinley was probably the biggest one now how do you choose the mountains you're going to go i mean you said you had one in ecuador how do you sit there and say okay because it's a vacation and you mm -hmm. of course you want to go somewhere where besides climbing the mountain is nice and probably somewhere you've never been to how did you how do you choose the places you'll go um i sort of look at look at first what mountains i think i'm ready for in terms of altitude and difficulty and uh yeah then like you know availability when i'm available and when, i've always gone with the guide i haven't just gone by myself and soloed anything or or led a group and um, also, I kind of look at different parts of the world that I want to see while I'm there. Like maybe I could combine it with a trip. I, you know, I've always wanted to climb. Um, there's a mountain down in Argentina, and I thought well, I could spend some time down there and climb that. Or, um, you know, I'd love to be be in the, um, you know, in the Himalayas. You know, there's a climb going on going on there in, <coughs> in October that looks pretty cool. So there's that, and then there's also the money because some of the big climbs are just they're really prohibitive. So you have to, well, when you go, when you say a guide, and how do you find a guide? Is it, is it like online, like you go in and say, okay, uh, you know, because I saw a thing. What's, what's the big, the big, big mountain everyone climbs? Is it Everest? Everest, yeah. And, and they show the Sherpas who work these people up, and I guess they just show up. And how do you, how would you, how do you find a guide? Because you, you don't want to get like, you know, you have to watch. You don't want to get some guide who's just like, oh, yeah, I'm a, a mountain guide. It's like getting a surfing lesson from a guy who's like, oh, yeah, I've been surfing all my life. And you go and it's some fat guy and he has no idea what he's doing. How would you sit there when you sit there and go, okay, I'm going to go to this mountain in Argentina. I'm going to go and I need a guide because, you know, I'm smart and I want to be safe and I want to live. Yeah. How do you find a guide? Because that's just, I mean, it's just, is there a guide service? Is it like a dating service? Or how do you sit there and sit there and find the guide? And is, do you do that before you go or do you wait you have to get there? It's like a dating service. Is it really? It's like guide.com. Yeah. You, <laughs> you just go and you exchange messages with them for a while. Some are real, some aren't. Yeah, some, some are <laughs> four-year-old girls. Some, some don't look like their pictures either, which is kind of frustrating. There's a bit for you. That's, that's a funny bit. <laughs> that's a funny bit? That's a very funny I gotta bit. i got to write that one down. Yeah. No, so how do you, I mean, how do you find the guide? And, and Have you ever gotten shown up and the guide was, were you disappointed in the guide? Um... <laughs> I'm really disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just didn't really, you didn't really do it for me. You didn't guide. guide me. You, you didn't, didn't guide me you right. Didn't guide me right. Yeah. Um, you know, all the guides have, all the guides have been with them. Pretty. I'm, I'm kind of a. I, I'm out to please people. You know. So a lot of times, if I get a guide, I, I want to be a good um, member of the team. And I think that's sort of where I th where I thrive is in difficult. If people are in a difficult situation, I kind of rise to the occasion. And you're probably the same. We're you know we're comics. We we try to make people laugh. Yeah, we and, try to make, we try us, we right? try to ease up the situation. We, we try to make, ease the situation. Yeah. If people are arguing, we like oh, you know we oh, smooth on. it out. You know? Right now, Francis. Yeah, that kind of thing. So um, so naturally, I'm like that. So I, I haven't really met any guides that I've had problems with. Although I've you know I've seen guys that have had problems with other with others before. Um, and personality clashes, they can be pretty intense when you're at 14,000 feet in a tent. And, uh, but no, they've all been pretty cool. There's a couple of, couple of people I know. Um, <coughs> they work for this company called IMG up in Seattle, and I usually climb with them. They have a great bunch of guides. And that when I first climbed Rainier a couple of times, I went with their, with their group. So I know probably about four or five of their guides. So I usually go with that company because I know them all. Now, would you ever try Everest? No. I mean, no. have you have you seen the footage? Like, what the, I, there was a big thing on like uh, Dateline, and these people they know a lot of these people know they may die going up there, but they still do it. I mean, it, it's insane. Well, the thing with Everest is, I mean, it is it is an awesome mountain. It is just from what I've read about it. It's 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 an incredible climb, an incredible journey. It takes a good chunk of your of your life, of your time, of money. Um, the only thing is, it's, it's turned into one of those things where the thing I like about climbing is I'm not a big summit guy. I'm not a big let's let's get to the summit. And I can't wait to come back and tell people that I summited Mount Whitney or whatever. Um, I, I'm I'm a journey along the way. I like to be climbing. 
you know, just sort of moving along. And the summit isn't something that I'm really crazy for. And I think I think uh, Everla- or Everlast, Everest has sort of has sort of become that. People wanted people to come home from Everest and say, "I climbed Everest," and it's a little more than the experience. So, and it's dangerous too because nowadays they have you know, they're able to figure out what the weather's going to be like, and you used to have to put a little bit of trust in your guide who would say, I think today's a good day to make a summit bid or to try to get through this one narrow pass. Now everybody goes at the same day. There are bottlenecks. People are waiting. Um, you know, weather comes in and people are, in, people are in trouble. And I saw that on the show. It was crazy. Like, it's, as you said, it's a big cluster F. It's like people were sitting there and then they're all just going up. And then by the time they get there, I mean, I mean, when they come down, there's people dead. They pass people who are dead. I mean, that I, that's not something that's pleasurable. I don't want to sit there and go, oh, well, hey, I made it, but 15 people died. Yeah, at what price? I know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, at what, at what price? You know, why, why are they risking their lives to get up that mountain? So now, are you ready for the holidays? Because I know your birthday is Christmas Eve. Oh my God, you remembered that. I remember that because it's funny. My ex-wife's birthday just, was a day it after just Christmas. my cockles. Yeah, see that? Because yeah. I remember, and you have your coffee and you have your hat and, and it's raining out, people. So he gets to wear his uh, nice jacket. You get see, you get to be sort of wintry today. I get to be kind of wintry. Yeah, wear some wool clothes. <clears throat> yeah, it's nice. Yeah, birthday coming up. Fifty. I hit fifty last year. Did you get your application from AARP? Okay. You know what? You know I what they're offering? <laughs> what, okay, what, what did they offer you? They offered me a free tote bag. Yeah, okay, I got the same thing. I'm 51. I turned 51. A free and, tote bag. I, and I sit there and- 14.95, you can get your free. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- that's what you get when you turn 50. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because it comes in like very official looking. Like I'm thinking, it doesn't It doesn't say ARP up front. I got my card. I still got my card with me. Oh, you yeah. actually, did you did I, you join? I didn't join, but they printed out a card for me and I just, I carry it with me. You actually have the card. I took, I, I thought, why not? You know, they gave me a membership number, authorization code. See that now? Now I think I still have to sign up. But yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. You can't just you, you can't get benefits. Like if you go to the movie theater, I don't even know what the benefits are. I mean, for me, when I was younger, you were officially were old when you were like sixty-five. You know, it's like it's like yeah. you, that was retirement age. Now, and all my friends, and you know, I grew up at the high school with you know, and there we we're, we're all young at heart. I mean, as I always say, fifty now is a lot different than fifty was. I'm sure with your parents and my parents, because you know, my parents when they were fifty. They were parents, you know. They Zanzibar slacks. <laughs> My mom wore like yeah. the, this polyester yeah. suit, and that was just the look. But for me, as soon as you turn, as you're right. Well, you're going to be fifty. You get that thing like a few days before. You get you just start getting compounded. And then when I'm now, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. I must have gotten like a cool credit card or something. AARP, you haven't joined yet. Okay, well, I don't want to join. I mean, I don't. What are the benefits of AARP? Because you know, you're walking around with a card, and you can start a new trend. You should go somewhere and see if they. I usually do. It. I usually do it when I go to the, the hipster coffee shop. I yeah. usually, when I'm going through my wallet, I just kind of keep this, and this sort of falls out onto the table <laughs> just by accident. Just oh, there's that. Yeah, you know. Now, will you join? <clears throat> um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't really need a tote bag. Exactly. Well, you can get everything gives a tote bag. What are you going to stuff in the tote bag? I know it's your a, youth. That's I, what you're yeah. going to put in the tote bag. <laughs> now, now, was it hard for growing up as a kid with your birthday on Christmas Eve? Did you, did you sort of lose that Christmas thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It was always like there was. You know, I could have parties, but people would sort of show up. Like Mark's got his party on Christmas Eve. We kind of got to, <laughs> we kind of got to do this. And it was, it was like, it was like you know, people complain about having a big brother that steals all the attention at a birthday party. For me, it was, it was like Jesus was there in like robes, just sort of floating among us, just kind of, you know, looking at everybody. And there'd be like a little pause in the activity. And you know, Jesus would be. I, I've thought about this before, but you, Jesus is just. You know, on my birthday, everybody gets presents. Right. So I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> because my birthday's the day before Halloween. So my mom would always do like, hey, you know, we'll do a Halloween birthday party. You know, everyone dress up like, like this theme is pirates. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second, man. That means that I got to dress up like a pirate you're, today. You're and making tomorrow? these kids commit to a costume this oh, early. My mom was, yeah, the day before. So now are you a big Christmas guy? Do you, do you get into the Christmas spirit? Do you get the tree? Or do you buy the tree? You know, I love Christmas. I haven't gotten into it. I was planning on going back east because I'm working on a documentary. I want to do this documentary. Tell me about the documentary. It takes place in um, it takes place in my hometown in upstate New York. And it's about this group of, it's really about a city kind of finding its identity, kind of finding its footing in a really kind of... Ogdensburg. Ogdensburg, yeah. Sort of finding its footing, finding its feet. It's a, it's a depressed economy. There's a high poverty rate there. It's got problems with... Is that now there is? It's a, yes, okay. yeah. And the city has basically had one sort of bad luck thing after another. I mean, they lost 
they lost the they were on the wrong side of the French and Indian War. They were on the wrong side of the War of 1812, the Revolutionary War. Um, industry kind of came in and the city really prospered for a while, but then uh, they said, we'll dig out a seaway, make it an international port, and all the ships just kind of went right by. They built a highway that went by the city. So it's sort of just lost one battle after another, and there's this group of reenactors who, who have brought attention to the place, saying that it was a French fort there at one point, a French missionaries were there in the 18th century in the early 1700s and they wanted to rebuild this fort but um the problem was that that this land had just been neglected and um and ignored and contaminated by ExxonMobil so they realized they're going to have to kind of take on ExxonMobil to kind of clean this land up and it's really it's really sort of the story of this this group of people who's you know really just trying to they want to reenact some of these old battles and reenactors are a little they're kind of like the comic-con people of the past you know right. they dress up and all these things <laughs> and it's like science fiction to them but it really happened and um you know it's sort of their struggles with with you know local federal city government and, and exxon mobile and it's also in a way kind of helping a city get on its get on its feet again not necessarily by finding that new industry or finding that new great thing that will come in and, and revitalize a place but actually looking to its past and realizing that that value that exists in a community's past so when you sit there and decide you're going to do a documentary what are the steps that you go into that do you have to go back to the city and get permission or i mean how i mean because i love that i don't know if you're are you a big documentary fan yeah i love them i love them and i always sit there and you know and it's like anything some are amazing some are crappy some are very the the director's point like i think michael moore is a lot of times he's stuffing your point down but then with like supersized me was the guy was saying here's what happens it was very honest when you as especially someone who loves documentaries then there's there's so much work that goes with the documentary people don't even know i mean it's like there's so much footage and it's 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 amazing when you decided to start doing this documentary what steps do you take when you you get the idea going i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and then where do you go from there because it's always fascinates me how someone makes that process um first thing i do is find somebody who knows how to do it (laughs) (laughs) find somebody who knows what they're doing that's right that's kind of the first the first thing and you know watch as many documentaries but for me it was i i went back to my hometown and i'd always been kind of fascinated with the place um and that there was always this big secret you didn't really know the history of it like what 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 happened here what people would say oh this happened that happened and you realize that history is is written by the victors it's not written by the people who've lost so sometimes there's this vacuum so for me there's always been a little bit of a mystery there you know i've played a lot of detectives but for me thinking what what happened what what went on here what's really going on there was that plus um i like to dress up i did one of the reenactments as as a you know a french 18th century marine or something and that was sort of fun and i just thought oh my god i, I there needs to be a camera now when on you, these people around me right now when you do the reenactment yeah. Like is it, is it? I mean, because it's a reenactment. Did someone say, "Okay, Mark, here's your playing." By the way, you die. Or I mean, how do they figure out who dies and how? I mean, is it known? Like, there are they based? Do these reenactors actually take like the whole troop and say, "Okay, well, such and such died." Uh, you know, private. Sure. Benjamin they don't died. plan it. I don't know if they plan it ahead of time. I think sometimes they improvise. Some people die. You don't have the same people dying all the time. But did you know? Did if you you're die? Over three hundred pounds. You probably don't want to die because people <laughs> got to carry you off. So the the little guys are the ones that die. So the, I, I'd be <laughs> dead. I'd be, <laughs> you'd be dead. You'd be so dead. You'd be mutilated, scalped, <laughs> just laying out there, and then they would easily drag you off. It's pretty serious, though. They play they play a, a character. They they get specific about it. They try to find out where this person was from. And they don't want to be, they don't really want to have this desire to be filmed or have it to be recorded or documented or anything. They really enjoy the, the process of, um, you know, investigating the past, investigating this one person, what it was really like, right down to what they have in their pockets. And, and it's a gradual process. Like me starting out, they'll ask me, like, how's your, you know, how's your costume coming along? You know, because people are constantly doing research on you know, what was a French engineer like in 1765? What, what did they dress like? Where did they come from? Where did they live? And um, I like to reenact with this group from Quebec, and they all speak, they all speak French. Do you too. speak French? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. 
No, how do you know? So you have to actually make the costume yourself. Like you, so you have to do. Re- it's not like you just can't go to a store and go buy a French or whatever. You can't buy one of these reenactment costumes. You have to actually go make it. I mean, for you when you did the reenactment, did someone give you a uniform? Or did Some, you? The first one I did, somebody gave me a uniform. Okay. But the second one I did, I had to, and I didn't really participate. I was there, sort of walking around, talking to people, just shaking hands, being Mark Valley. So I wasn't really. <laughs> I never really got into the French guy, but there are there are websites you can go to where people are making these uniforms, you know, with authentic materials and so forth you know no rayon anything like that it's just it's just the old-fashioned stuff so from the documentary is going to deal with that and the reenactments and then what else is it going to deal with the i mean how are you going to intertwine with what happened the secrets and- well the cool thing about it is it's an international story and i live in a border town and that's a pretty unique place as people who grow up on a border because for me i, I had to reel back some of the canadian in my own dialect i sounded canadian sometimes when i'm a, as an actor and um, there's a sort of a split identity you have when you're living right there. You can't ignore that everybody just on the other side, oh, they're Canadian, I can't pay any attention to them. There's ultimately like an influence from um, you know, what's on the radio, what's on television, what's in the media, people that are coming across and going. So there's, there's a kind of, so it's an international story. I mean, there's the, you know, the French Canadians who realized, wait, we, we had a mission here. There's the English who, who knew that, okay, they, they invaded the city once and they stayed in the fort for a while. Um, you know, the English in Ontario, and then there's the Americans who this has always been American territory. So it's it's really a combination of three different points kind of converging in this one spot historically. And, um, you know, given an opportunity that this, this history can actually be the key to this, this community's future, I think is kind of fascinating. So we'll be interviewing diff- those different groups that are coming in. Now, how long do you think it will take to get this project finished? Oh, the rest of my life. No, I <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I really would like to, I, in, a, in a year... I'd like it to take a year. Probably, so, probably a year and a half of, of filming and maybe two thousand end of 2016. Now, you said you were, gonna, you were going to go back at Christmas this year, but you're I'm not. going to, yeah. Oh, you I'm are going to. back at Christmas. Yeah, I'm going to. I've just been doing some research and meeting and talking to people. And it's fun because as a story sort of comes together, you talk to different people and you find out what's going on and what's happening. The story just sort of un, un, unveils, unravels right in front of you. Now, how do you, you, you find out the story? How do you find the people you have to contact? And then how do you actually get in contact with them? I mean, it's a lot easier now because of social media. But do you sit there, I mean, because for me, if I see a guest on TV, I'll sit there and go, oh, you know, if I see someone on my show, you can go through Twitter. You can go to, you know, this. But for you, you're finding someone, I mean, it's not like these people have a huge social media presence, I'm sorry. How do you find the people you're going to interview? Do you do the research and then say, okay, I need to know someone in this town who knows this person because you grew up there? Or how do you get these people? It's a lot easier for me because I grew up there because okay. I can ask people and there's a shorthand like, oh, he moved out to Briar Hill and like, I know where that is. Or, um, or someone said was in Lisbon, he had a farm there and then he came back and did this. And or, this person lives over in Morrisburg or whatever. So uh, it's, it's a little bit quicker for me to figure but it's sort of like uh it's like a colombo you know he's like what was that guy's name again (coughs) what was his name you know he just left town after this happened or who was there when this happened so there's some detective work that goes on but um being from that town helps they said you like a lot of documentaries what are some of the some some of the good documentaries what you've watched lately because netflix has so many I, i watched a movie a show called the punk singer it's about the girl who was with uh I forget. The, she's married to one of the Beastie Boys, but she was this punk singer in a few different bands, and uh, it was really good. Someone recommended it, and sometimes that's the best. Like sometimes you watch him and you go, ah, "It sucks," you know. You, and but sometimes you don't know, and someone will go oh, watch this, and you watch it, and it just blows you away. I think it's just fascinating how you can just put a camera on somebody, and, they, and they'll, they'll you, you see a story happening. Um, I just watched one recently about this guy called the Mad Canadian. About this guy, he was a <clears throat> he grew up in Montreal, uh, didn't have a lot of money, but he started working as a stuntman. And stunt, he wasn't a stuntman for movies. Like the original stuntmen weren't stuntmen for the films. They would um, have a little caravan. They would set up like in a field somewhere, like uh, like it was a circus, and they would just jump cars. Okay. <laughs> you know, there are, or you know, I think those rally car derbies are, are sort of part of that. So this guy started out in that as an old school stuntman. They would just come into a town and say, we're pulling a stunt, I'm going to jump this. You know, kind of Evil Knievel sort of became the, you know, the, like the, the big media version. Remember how big Evil Knievel, when we were kids, do you, do you remember the snake, uh, the, when he jumped, the, what's the count? The snake, snake ca- River, yeah. Well, you, this guy was going to jump the St. Lawrence River. Okay. And it was just crazy. I mean, he had a, ro- a rocket car and a ramp set up, and it was just, it was suicide. <laughs> and, he, and it was a big deal when suicide, when Evil Knievel came up to my hometown, or up to that region. We're like, yo, Evil Knievel's up here. I mean, it's so funny now. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, everyone, he was on Wild World Sports. Everyone loved Evil Knievel. I mean, I don't know what it is when we're kids, but when someone says, 
it's a big bragging point. Oh, he's he's broken every bone in his body. And you, you never was great. You yeah. never argue like, oh, you sure Eddie Byrne did he did he break the clavicle or did he? Oh we no, he's broken every bone. I swear. So every finger. Oh yeah, he's broken them. No one ever argued it. That's what's great. Like now, kids would argue it because you know kids have to ask so many questions. Well, now we want personal humiliation. Right you know, now we want to skewer somebody <laughs> over. We want to like rip apart their psyche and find out where all the lies were. Back then, it was just. Dude, the guy broke eight ribs. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> now it's now it's like, oh man, oh we found out his email. You know, yeah, but no, he it's, lied it's, to somebody. But so that, what else? What are some other good documentaries? Because I'm always looking at, for good ones. Oh the, God, what are some other good ones? Well, Hoop Dreams is always one of my one of my favorites. That was a good one. Were you a basketball player? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, but I played. I didn't play. I played CYO basketball. You ever? Is that like intramural or? CYO is sort of intramural team. Like every every Catholic every Catholic diocese had a CIO. A CYO. Okay. Um, not even di- even parish had a, a C- had a, a CYO team. So you played like other Catholic kids from from. <laughs> That's you know in the up- upstate New York that was what you did. Um, you know there were high, was a high school basketball team. There was a good basketball team. It always got really intense for well, me. High school basketball, oh, like gymnasium, and people screaming. And- are you near Goshen? Uh, no, West Point was near Goshen. Okay, no, no Goshen. because we played, our high school team played Goshen. I remember they came down to Cherry Hill East to play. It was just weird. It's like, why would they play Goshen? But I remember yeah. that's the thing. But I would see a high school basketball. was huge back east. Oh, yeah. Yeah, high school basketball was a big deal. Because no. there was usually the kids that couldn't afford the hockey equipment. They were the ones that played, they played basketball. Were you a good athlete? Um, I got better as I got older. I was a little awkward when I was, I was younger, but gosh, I tried, you know. It's you know, now CSI. You're on CSI now, and uh, a few episodes. CSI, yeah. Now, how did that come apart? And and was it great that you can play a creep? I mean, because you always play a nice guy, and you, you come across on nice. And that's the one thing people. Mark's one of those guys. That, you know, he's a guy who he's good looking, so he can if if like a Dana Delaney or a Elizabeth Shue is interested in him in the show. You can see it happening in real life. For the rest of us, we're like, we can't, we, we, we don't get to kiss Elizabeth Shue. Like, if I got cast in uh, CSI, they'd be like, oh, maybe you'll stalk her. But Mark is the type <laughs> that gets to, like, romance her. So, I mean, had, had, did CSI come to you to play that part? And were you excited to be able to play what's turning into a creep? Um, I was excited because he was, he was a private eye. I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. <clears throat> that's kind of fun. It'll be a little bit different. Usually I'm playing somebody inside the system, one of the detectives. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to do. And they said we didn't really know whether the good – that was a big question in the beginning. We didn't know if he was a good guy or if he was a bad guy. Was it for your sign-off for one episode or were they, sure, were they, were they going to see how the arc went? It was probably talk of eh, – they were looking at like looking at probably four, okay. three or four or something like that. I've got one more to shoot in December in January. And so it came up. There was just it was an offer, and they said, "Yeah, we'd love to see if Mark wants to do this." And I thought, "Yeah, this looks like a lot of fun." So, yeah. Now, are you excited to play a creep? I mean, like not a creep, but you're excited. I mean, when you think about it, people, if you don't watch, and this isn't giving it away, because my only thing is like this: if you know, if you let's say on a Sunday night, like I watch Homeland, and if someone, if I watch it at six o'clock with the East Coast feed on HBO, I'm not going to post what happened that night because that's a dick move. Like people will go, "Oh, hey, man." Homeland, yeah. such and such. Well, this episode you were on was a few weeks ago. So my feeling is if someone's not caught up on CSI right now, the hell with them. So you, play, you go from playing this nice guy, and I knew it was you. I, I could tell, because it just, I don't know, you, there was something about you, and you were just, you were nice, but, you know, that Elizabeth Shue had the hots for you. I'll tell you that, she had the hots for you. Which, that must be great, like, having an, a, a big actress like that act like she has the hots for you. Yeah. And that must be cool. That must be like, yeah, man, I'm, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, it's cool. Then they say cut, you know? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> <coughs> but now, well, that was embarrassing. Is it, is it exciting to play? I mean, cause is it good that you get to play sort of like someone creepy? I mean, is that something that you enjoy? Because as I said, you've always played pretty much a nice guy. Yeah. And is yeah. it good to sit there and go, okay, man, I mean, would you ever just want to play a total dick? I mean, would that be a part that you would love to play? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. I, but I'm not one of these. I, I don't really want to play a sociopath. I mean, a sociopath, because a lot of people, a sociopath doesn't really have a sense of conscience, and they kind of really break that social contract. And when people kind of break that social that social agreement that, okay, we're going to tell people who we are and what we want to do, um, it's like you're a creep. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the definition of a creep, and you kind of broke that. And um, I, I like to play characters who've, who've done that for a reason. So at some, at some point, they, you know, there's a tragedy involved, so you realize who they are. But straight up serial killers and things like that, they're... You know, there, there's a level of, there's a level of, you know, psychopathy or whatever it's called, psychopathy, where you don't, it doesn't really, that's not important to you. You're just a, you're just a sociopath. You don't have a conscience and so forth. And a lot of people will try to put a personality on top of that, 
we'll try to we'll try to paste together and try to connect the dots of you know of that of that behavior and um and that's really all the audience's work i but this this character that i'm playing on csi he's got a reason for why he's doing what he's doing not not just because he's a creep he's doing creepy things but um yeah <laughs> he's doing creepy things but he's got a, he's got a reason now now do you ever it's just oh really dude <laughs> I was just that when that last up, I was sitting there going, I knew it. And Joanne's like, oh. And I was like, God, see that? He, he's, he's not. Because my girlfriend's a fan of yours. I'm like, see, he's, he's not that nice. He's always not the nice guy. See, he, he can play a creep. But uh, so now, now, do you ever get called for sitcom auditions? Or does anyone ever call you? Cause yeah, you, I did a Hot in Cleveland episode. How was that? Hot in Cleveland. Oh, that was fun. Because it's such an amazing, I mean, when you look at that cast. You'd I mean, be great on that. Who, me? You would, yeah. Because it's, it's like canceled. Super quick. Has it been? They're not even knows. But no, it's, what's great about that, it's when you look at it, and as anyone our age, you know, we all, we all had a crush on a Valerie Bertinelli. I mean, yeah. you know, and Betty White, we grew up watching and she's just, my, one of my friends directed her in, in a, a TV commercial and he's just said, the woman is just so professional. It's like, she just nails it. Yeah. And then you have Jane Leaves and you have Wendy Malick. Oh, just that a was great just, staff. That was just a, that was just a, for me, it was like a seminar of comedy. No, I, was it, was it, were you nervous going in to do a sitcom because you have such a good dramatic past? I was nervous, but usually they bring me in to play. I mean, the guest on a sitcom isn't really, he's there to sort of set up jokes. You're, you're, you're very often the, the one with the kind of earnest intention that sort of, that they can kind of react off of. You know, you're the ship that's making waves in right. a way. And um, you're not often the, the funny one. Although if you can get a laugh, that's kind of great. Um, uh, I, I kind of lost my track of thought. But, yeah, but I do, yeah, I, I have done some. I'd like to do more. Like to do more. So what was it just, how was it shooting with Hot with Cleveland? I mean, because they all have so many years in sitcoms. I mean, for you, were you, did you feel like sort of like, wow, you know, I'm, I, did you did you learn from it? I mean, I mean, as an actor, do you still learn from different roles and different experiences and people you work with? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And w- one of the things that I've been learning, and maybe I just haven't really been ready for it, haven't really been ready for it in the past, is just, um, you know, working with Kathy Bates and, 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 all, and all the, the w- women on Hot in Cleveland. There's nobody's very precious with what they're doing they really throw it away and what do you mean by that i mean um sometimes you might come into a scene with a very specific way of performing it and here's how i want to do it and a rigid idea of how it's going to be done and you know maybe as a younger actor i thought that that was integrity that's atlas shrugged you know he has a way that he wants to do it i don't care what anybody thinks this is me against the world and me kind of showing my talent and my specialness but um as I get older, I realize how many. I mean, Kathy Bates would just do a scene, and the director would say, "You know, Kathy, maybe I was thinking maybe you could try." She goes, "Oh, tell me anything." Because maybe do one a little more angry. She's like, "All right, cool, let's do it." You know, maybe we could do a little one where you're, you know, you're, you don't really trust him that much. And she says, "Oh, oh, yeah, let's try that." It was always a yes. It was always yes, yes, I'll try that. Yes, I'll try that. <coughs> and I think with um, and and uh, but in that, and then watching watching the comedy watching a comedy and watching people do that and try other things that the directors were suggesting. It just added, it made an environment where, where people were not only open to the directors, not only open to um, the writers, but the, the actors were also open to being influenced by each other as well. well. I can see that because I think it's a maturity and the reason they're still working is because they've done something right. So it's a matter of if you have all these people have been working for a long time, of course you're going to listen to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, they know how to roll over. Now, yeah. <laughs> now, what's the movie That's called? That's the key to Hollywood. Rolling over. The key to life in Hollywood. Exactly. Now, what's, what's the movie coming out that you're playing a dad? What's that called? That's called Lost Boy. Um, it, I don't know if it's coming out as independent or they're going to sell it to uh, a specific network, but um, it's called Lost Boy. It's about this family. Uh, I, I play a father with Virginia Madsen. And, uh, Love her. Yeah. Isn't she fabulous? She's been great. Yeah. I, ever since she was in she was in that movie uh, with her Jennifer Connelly and Don Johnson, it was uh, he replayed a car dealer. I remember it was it was a hot spot, great movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting a chance to meet all these women that I was crazy about. So what's that like? I mean, it must be so cool. I mean, these because we watch these people, you know, you never think you're going to meet them, and now you're acting next to them. I mean, you must be loving that. Yeah, it's really. Fa- I and mean, for me, I for me, I wasn't really a big movie kid as, as a kid. We had one theater in town. Rocky would come in, so I was never like a big cinema, you know, like cinema paradiso collecting. So I was always big on TV, and I always liked TV as a kid. So they're they're kind of my heroes. And um, when I went on, showed up on CSI, <coughs> it was really fun. I went, I you know, did a rehearsal. Went, went over to craft service, and Ted Danson was there, and he said, "Oh, hey, um, Mark." 
I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm Mark. You know, I go, I'm Ted. How are you? He goes, listen, I when I heard you were doing this, I was I was really really happy. How awesome and is I that? Said, I guess. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just reel this back. You know who I am. I mean, that's that's it's Sam Malone. One, one thing to yeah. meet him, but then to think, oh my God, the first time I meet him, he knows who I am. So we have a few minutes. Michael left. J. Fox did that too. I went up to him. I said, oh, I worked with him. I said, I can't wait to tell him. You know how much how much I loved him in the shows and loved his work and how much it kind of influenced me as an actor. And I said, "Well, I'll tell him after." And then finally, I got a chance and I was following him. And I was like, "I'll tell him now. I'll tell him now. I'll tell him." And he turns around and he goes, "Hey, Mark." I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "I loved Kinetti. That was great. I watched it with my kid, and it was a fantastic show." That must. And be- then I couldn't sit there and say, "Oh, I like you too." You know. <laughs> we got a few minutes. Uh, just yeah. tell me, tell me about the movie, uh, the one you just, this one we talked about with Virginia Madsen. Sure, Lost, Lost Boy, Virginia Madsen, um, really talented group of people. Sosie Bacon, Kevin Bacon's daughter is, is on that as well. She plays a daughter of mine, and um, it's about a kid who, um, it's about a family who loses a child. He's abducted at, at age at age seven, and he returns eleven years later. Or they find him eleven years later, um, and he's a different he's a different person, literally and figuratively. So. Um, I thought that was fa- I thought that would be fascinating. What what happens when a kid kind of disappears and comes back, and it's still your kid, but they've been raised by somebody else? I thought that was kind of an interesting topic, and then it explores that in this in this movie. Well, good. So uh, so also the holidays, you're going back now, or you're not going back? I'm going back. I'm going back. Yeah. Do you celebrate For big Christmas time? Are you gonna Are you gonna now? Where do you stay? Do you, you Where do you stay when you go back? I've got a little house. I've got a little house on the river up on the St. Lawrence River. It's a little old, hundred year old, hundred. Now, who lives there during the year? Nobody. Oh, so it's just you have a little house there. It's a really little house. Really? Yeah. Can I move in there and I'll, I'll become the DJ? I'll become a DJ up in uh, Ogdentown. You I'll, could live there. I'll yeah. be. I'll live in an Og. I'll tell. I'll tell Joanne. Hey, yeah. Uh, you know, you just moved out to LA. We're moving to Ogdensburg uh, on the river, and I'm going to be the voice of Quebec. That's what I'm going to learn France. You know, what you could do. You could go there and count ships. You know, like train spotters. They're ship spotters. They sit there with binoculars and they watch the ships and they write down the numbers. No, really. You could do that. That's an actual job. It's no, it's not a job. It's a hobby. It's a ridiculous one. That's not. That's no, no. Are you are you going to get a tree when you go back oh no it's gonna be too late i think i might just might just miss the whole tree thing was christmas big for you as a kid did you celebrate it big time did you love the tree or were you just one of those you know oh yeah i love the smell of the tree it was all about the presents for me it was all about waking up and getting presents did you no? Did you did you make a big list? Because you said you had a big imagination as a kid. I used to make a Christmas list. It was like eighty things long. My parents were like, "What a greedy little dick you are!" Yeah, you know, you, you'll get yeah. you'll get eight. You know? Did you were you one of those big list kids? No, I I I, I felt I, I sort of felt um, politically, you know, with the whole like campaigning for Santa's toys. I kind of knew that you had to start on December twenty sixth. You had to start planting <coughs> the seeds for what you like. What and what you do, because the best gifts were the ones where your parents felt like you didn't put them on the list. They just kind of read your mind. So I think there was this whole skullduggery thing going, this whole thing going on where I would plant little hints. A year in advance. Oh, a year in advance. I would plan. I'd plot it ahead. Yeah, of time. but the toys changed then. I mean, Big Jim and Stretch Armstrong are big in one Christmas, and then the next year. They're, they're, they're back oh, you see jokes. one, yeah, you see one commercial. It's like, oh, of course I wanted Evil Knievel. Exactly. Know? But they ran out. I think I had to wait a year for Evil Knievel. It's crazy. Now, do you, are you, do you plan to get on stage soon to do any stand-up at all, or is that something you're just done with for right now? Or Because you should tell some of your story. I mean, there, you, have, you, have, you have good stories, and you know, you, you, nice. you, you broke out a bit now, earlier today, you did the bit, and even the Christmas thing, lobbying, that's funny stuff. The poli- Who uses the term, the politics of Christmas? That's great stuff. Thanks, Steve. I'm going to steal that. I'll huh? get back on stage. I'm going to use that. <laughs> don't use it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't need, I actually, I did a storytelling show at I.O. West the other night, and it was fun. I've never done the storytelling. You ever had somebody else tell your joke? But no, not steal it, but just that parallel kind of development sort of thing oh yeah and I, I it's happened yeah. it's, because it, it's so some some stuff floats thoughts, around in the yeah, zeitgeist I mean right? I did the joke one time and then someone did it and I'm like yeah he worded it different and I'm like I'm not stealing it I hate those one time I did, I did an old joke because it was a show and then some girl comes up you stole that joke from Bette Midler and I was like no actually I stole it from the sound man at the Comedy Factory outlet in 1987 who stole it from Milton Berle it's an old joke and people get all like oh you can't do an old that's like hey you know what when there's eight people in the room and the crowd's dying do an old joke yeah, yeah. I, hate, I hate that I whole. Stole it from Milton Berle. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, he's I didn't, fair game. I didn't steal from Bette Midler. It was on her special. She wrote this thing on Facebook, and I said, I said, next time you write something, I sent her a message. Next time you write something like that, like just use my name because I my reputation in this comedy business is much more respected than yours. I said, you know, if you're gonna call someone out, call them out by name. Don't be a don't be a pussy about it. Say, hey, such like that's a whole Louis C.K. or the, the itchy ass bit with Louis C.K. and Dane Cook. They called each other out by name, and it's fine then. Yeah. Anyway, we got to wrap up. Uh, are you tweeting? 
It was a pleasure. Yes. Uh, at Yes Mark Valley. At That's Yes Mark Valley. And yeah. it's V A L L E Y. Yes. Okay. And do you tweet a lot? Uh, no, not a big tweeter, but I'm there. Every once in a while, I'll put something in. Start and tweeting people. more. I'll start tweeting more. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you for coming on, and I can't wait to watch the CSI. So people follow him on Twitter. Follow me on uh, Twitter at Cooper Talk. Also, uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 325 episodes up. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher, that's Cooper Talk. Uh, just go in there, and there's you can find all my past shows there. What else? Oh, email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. That's always a good place to find me. Get sit there and say hi. Next week, I have some great guests. I have uh, Wendy Liebman, very funny. Uh, Greg Barrett, very funny, and Andrea Roth, who I loved in Rescue Me. So that's a good little uh, lineup there. So yeah, people, keep listening to all my Jewish friends. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, be safe and careful. Light your candles. It's the Festival of Lights. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, drink your water. You guys have a great weekend. Merry Christmas.